join in the call to worship. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and God's love is perfected in us. Come into community, come as you are, whoever you are. Let us love one another, for love is from God and God is love. Let us worship God. God asks us, is not this the fast I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, to clothe the naked? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Having heard these promises, 
let us confess our sins. Please join in our unison prayer of confession. Holy God, we have tried to love you as you love, but we are not you. Forgiveness is hard. Honesty is vulnerable. Our failures are embarrassing. Help us to believe that you love us anyway. Help us to turn around our hearts and lives and do better. Help us to forgive ourselves and to love you more so that we can love our neighbors with joy and grace. Amen. God promises us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Brothers, sisters, siblings, in Christ, all God's promises are yes. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace we have in Christ is a shared peace and it binds us together both here in this sanctuary and in our online congregation. If you are worshiping online, including those worshiping with us from Madison, Wisconsin, Surfside Beach, South Carolina, Gold River, California, Dunmore Town, Bahamas, and points in between and beyond, wherever you are joining us in worship, Please take a moment to sign the digital pew pad as an expression of the peace we share with one another, as we here in the sanctuary express that saying together, the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Please greet those around you with words and signs of peace. Well, good morning and welcome to worship here at Fourth Presbyterian Church. We know that God is in all places, loving all people, but we come together in this place, physically and virtually, to remind ourselves and each other that God is with us, that God's love is steadfast and trustworthy. This is our joy. And God invites us to share that joy with all those whom we encounter here and there, now and later. We are so glad that you are here. And we want to know that you're here. 
So I invite you to find the pew pads here in the sanctuary and fill those out and pass those to your neighbors down the row. Everyone is invited to take part in the life of the congregation in person and in many ways virtually as well. And you can find many invitations to you in the second half of your worship bulletin on pages 7 through 11. There you will find opportunities to create and strengthen connections with others, to engage in learning and Bible study, and to share your time and talent through many volunteer opportunities. Another way to know what is happening at Fourth Church is by subscribing to and reading our weekly email newsletter. You can find that on our website under contact and then subscriptions. After worship today, please join us in Anderson Hall through the doors to your left for coffee and sweet treats and to check out information tables and the connection corner to meet more people or to ask any questions about the church. I have one big announcement today. Yesterday, John Shearer, our amazing organist and director of music, shared with us that yesterday his wife, the very Reverend Cara Wagner Shearer, became bishop-elect of the Episcopal Diocese of Rochester, New York. This is a call that Cara receives with joy and gratitude. She will begin her new ministry in July. John has said that his emotions are a mix, as he is happy for Cara, but also profoundly sad to be leaving Fourth Church after 28 years. Music is a central element in the way we bear witness to our faith at Fourth Church. For almost three decades, John Shearer has been the heartbeat and the master craftsman of this aspect of our life of faith. While there is nothing in us that wishes to see him go, we give thanks to God for the impact he has had in our life together, and we send him with our blessings. As this is very fresh news, when we have more details about timing, we will share with you plans to celebrate the rich ministry that John has had in our midst. Today, we simply say to our friend John, thank you for all you have given us, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. celebrate John and his ministry among us, and now let us continue in worship.
Let us pray. Holy God, we come to your word again and again, seeking understanding and wisdom. Open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may know you more deeply and serve you and your world more joyfully. Amen. Our first scripture lesson is from the first letter of John. Listen. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and God's love is perfected in us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. second reading is Psalm 137. The Psalms are the hymn book of Scripture, and like our hymns, they are often turned to for comfort. They give expression of praise to God. But Psalm 137 is a psalm of lament, a psalm almost too hard to sing because the dust of grief is caught in the throat. I didn't intend to preach from a psalm of lament on the day we learn of John Scherer and Kara's new call is just a providential appropriateness. The setting is Israel had been conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians had raised Jerusalem. They had burned the temple. They gathered up leaders of Israel and marched them east to Babylon where they were captive. The people of Israel could work, they could worship, albeit without a temple. They just couldn't go home. This was more than a military crisis, it was a theological crisis. The question is, where was God in all of this? Later, like Jesus on the cross, they no doubt wondered if God had forsaken them. Listen to Psalm 137. 
By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Their captors taunted them. Sing us one of your worship songs. Sing us one of the old hymns of Zion. Where is your God? But their songs of worship had left them. They were replaced with tears. I am sure you have known grief. Perhaps you are walking that path right now and you know that grief is a long and sloppy walk. Our emotions defy control. They seem too big for our bodies. Loss brings sadness, but it also can bring a loss of perspective. This can be particularly true when grief is tied to the unfairness of life, when the moral arc of the universe seems tilted in the wrong direction. These are the questions of exile. Has God forsaken us? My friend Tom Long was a teacher of preachers at Candler School of Theology, Emory in Atlanta. He tells a story, he tells of a time when he, as he said, he had a run-in with the law. He, he was crossing some lanes of traffic in Atlanta. The car in front of him stopped, so he stopped. When he did, the nose of his car was in one lane, the tail of the car in another lane, and right behind him was a police officer. Tom got a ticket for impeding the flow of traffic. He said, when you're a young man, you get a ticket for speeding in a convertible. When you're 65, you get a ticket for being in the way. But he's a professor, so he went to the library, the law library. He decided to read up on this law impeding the flow of traffic. He decided he could make a case that he wasn't actually impeding the flow of traffic. He found precedent, case law. He got a folder. He said, his wife said to him, for goodness sakes, what are you doing? Just pay the ticket. He said, no, 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 there's a principle here. I did not impede the flow of traffic. Well, his day of court came, they called his name, he grabbed his folder. The judge said, the officer who submitted this ticket no longer works for the county. There's no one to testify against you. You are free to go. <laughs> Tom said, wait a minute, you can't just dismiss this case. I, I got a folder here. I got a folder here. You see, when, 
when things have gone wrong, we want them to be made right. And when they aren't, or they can't, we grieve. That's the grief of exile. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, they asked. Two Sundays ago, we had our annual congregational meeting. It was a great meeting. There's so much to celebrate in this place. That evening, I was invited to join some friends to watch the Super Bowl, which turned out as Providence desires. The Kansas City Chiefs won yet another Super Bowl. Some with whom I were watching, they were misguided and cheering for San Francisco. It's okay, it's okay, as my friend Roger says, they are ones for whom Jesus also died. It was a wonderful week. And Monday and Tuesday of that week were filled with positive meetings and meaningful conversation. And then Wednesday, I got a text from my son letting you know that I am safe. I left the chief's parade before the shooting started. I went cold. My knees grew weak knowing that that crowd was filled with people that I love. We learned that a dozen children were shot and wounded, and some reports were that children were among those drawing weapons. You know this nightmare. Almost every day, our newspapers here in Chicago report a shooting here or there. This is the 56th day of 2024. And according to Gun Violence Archive, there have been 57 mass shootings in 2024, a shooting where there are four or more victims. In 56 days, over 200 children have died in this country from gun violence. And I don't know what you think about all of that, but I am beyond weary of the national shrug of the shoulders to this uniquely American scandal. No nation of honor sacrifices her own children this way. No nation of honor looks away. As I watched my phone that Wednesday praying that I did not learn that someone I knew was hurt, but knowing that everyone who was injured and killed was loved by some, tears were close. You know that feeling. You've been there. Sometimes tears come because the pain is too deep to speak. The poets have yet to invent the vocabulary to express our brokenness. We just weep. But the way of grief means that our emotions do not always stop with sadness. What we witness in the psalm is that the tears turn to rage. When I read the psalm a moment ago, I didn't finish it. I, I didn't read the last verse. I couldn't without at least trying to prepare us a bit. 
as the rage spills over, the desire for vengeance is so graphic. One scholar has said the last verse of the 137th Psalm is the moral low point of Scripture. The psalmist wrote this, O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. It's hard to read that. It's hard to read that in church. It's hard to find prayers like that in Scripture. How can anyone pray for the destruction of the innocent? These are unholy words. They are found in the holy book, but they are unholy words. I hate this psalm. But I must admit, sometimes I need it. Because as repugnant as these words may be, they speak the truth of us at times. This psalm is not exemplary. It is cautionary. We see this psalm coming to life in front of us every day in the Middle East. You pick who you want to blame and who you want to sympathize with. But the slaughter of children on all sides is only planting the seeds for tomorrow's violence. But it's not just there. It's here. It's, it's, it's everywhere. There's un, unchecked vengeance is commonplace. Neil Steinberg, writer of the Chicago Sun-Times, said, we live in the golden age of vindictiveness. The only question is who is the object of retribution this week? Happy shall they be when they dash your little ones. I hate this song, but I confess my need for it because I'm not above hatred. I'm not. I bet you aren't either. I often believe my hatred is righteous, and indeed at times it may be. But hatred is risky. Hatred has a seductive power to invite me to become that which I despise. Hatred sometimes brings out a worse version of myself rather than the best version of myself, even when my hatred is justified. That's why I need this psalm, because while the Scripture does not advocate vengeance, it does name that the desire for vengeance is real. Sometimes prayers like this are simply the best we can do. It was 30 years ago, I was serving a church in South Carolina. I was pastor to a young guy named Kyle. Kyle worked for the state law enforcement division of the state. He was part of a team called to find two little boys who had allegedly been kidnapped in a carjacking in a small town in South Carolina. Kyle said within 10 minutes, within 10 minutes, of interviewing 
the children's mother, he knew in his gut there had been no carjacking. But they were required to spend days for looking for a make-believe suspect, but in the end, it came out, Susan Smith had killed her own children. Kyle sat in my study and wept. He and his wife had longed for a child and none would come. And now it was his job to interview a woman who had taken the life of her own. He said, Tom, I scared myself. I scared myself. I was so enraged. I wanted her to hurt like they had hurt. It doesn't have to be that dramatic for us, for us to want someone to pay sometimes just anyone to pay for all that has gone wrong. We have those feelings of rage sometime, and when our rage is righteous, it seldom leaves us, even when our rage is righteous, it seldom leaves us as our best self. And yet the rage is not something we can afford to ignore. So what do we do with it? It gets complicated. Sometimes polite folk, we just pretend it's not there. We just, we just ignore unseemly emotions. We just pretend that it's not there, which is somewhere between dangerous and just stupid because it's going to come out. And when it does, we often do damage to ourselves or quite frequently those whom we love. When it comes to emotions, living in the land of pretend doesn't work. On the other hand, you probably know some folks who don't hold that in check at all. They make no effort to deny the rage and hatred. They choose to lean into those feelings, striking back, striking out, making someone else pay. This is not helpful either. If I understand the teaching of the psalm, and it's challenging, but I think it gives us a different invitation. If I understand it, the text teaches us that the healthiest thing to do, the most human thing to do with our hatred is to bring our rage to God. The safe place for hate is with God. We cannot always be holy before God, but you can always be honest. God welcomes that. When we pray honest prayers, even if they are the lowest points of our hearts, God receives them. So when we want to bash someone's head against the rock, the safest thing to do is to tell God that that's exactly what you want. Several years ago, Carol and I, we attended a fundraiser for the Midwest Innocence Project. Our friends were the host of the evening, so we got to sit at the head table and Carol sat next to the keynote speaker who was the author, John Grisham. I was a little envious. I sat next to a guy named Dennis. <laughs> and I'm glad I did. 
I sat next to Dennis Fritz. Grisham's only work of nonfiction is entitled The Innocent Man, and it was written about Dennis Fritz, who was wrongly convicted of murder. As I sat next to him and we ate our salads, I wondered how I would handle being put in prison for a crime I had absolutely nothing to do with. I think I would go crazy. He wasted 11 years in prison. I would have been so bitter. But the man I dined with was gracious, peaceful, even joyful. I asked him about it. I said, Dennis, aren't you, aren't you angry? You can't get any of those days back. Don't you hate what they did to you? He put his fork down. He said, I did. Man, oh man, did I hate them. There were days I had plans, Reverend. I had plans. But I tell you, that hatred just made a mess out of, my, mess out of me. I was at a pretty low point, but Reverend, that's when I remembered my faith. And I took my hatred to God, and I asked God to take it from me. And then he said, but you're a reverend, so you already know about all of that. I said, I'm not sure I do, Dennis, but I know after tonight I want to. I know I want to know about that. When I'm at my worst, I sure hope I can leave it with God. Happy are they who dash your little ones against the rock, they prayed. There is nothing holy about this prayer, but even unholy prayers that are honest can lead to a better day. If your heart is heavy, maybe even raging, if hatred is dancing a little too close with you, I think God is saying, bring me your brokenness, bring me your pain. Bring me your rage. Bring me your hatred. I can take it. Bring it to me. I can take it. And maybe in time, I can take it away from you. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
together we affirm what we believe. We believe that our lives are held within the encircling love of God, who knows our names and recognizes our deepest needs. We believe that Christ is the divine child of the living God, and that his grace is like living waters that can never be exhausted. We believe in the birthing, renewing, enabling spirit of God who yearns over our welfare as a mother yearns for her child. We believe that God is in the arid desert as well as in green pastures, and that hard times and disciplines are also loving gifts. We believe that our journey has a purpose and a destination, and that our path leads to a human glory we cannot yet imagine. We believe that in the church we are fellow pilgrims on the road and that we are called to love one another as God loves us. This is our faith, and we are humbled to profess in Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Today is a special day in the life of our community as we welcome all those who have made a commitment to become a member of Fourth Presbyterian Church. And with gratitude to God at a session meeting held earlier this morning, we welcome 10 new members into the life of this congregation. So I'm going to invite those who are present to come forward. And for those of you who are joining us online, you will also see their faces appear on the screen. And I hope that all of you will, in the days and weeks and months ahead, take the time to greet them and welcome them warmly into the life of this church. So friends, when I call your name, I invite you to come forward and to stand here on the chancel steps. Joining today by reaffirmation of faith, Karen Canham, who is joining us online, Shane Hackenberg, John Hoftig, Kristen Mueller, Paul Talley, who is joining us online as well, and Jane Zimmer. Joining us today by letter of transfer, Janelle Cardinal, who is sick and is joining us online today, Matt Gowan, Mark Greenwood, and Kate Hall, who is also joining us online today. So friends, I have a few questions for you to answer as you reaffirm your faith, and I invite those who are joining us online to share in these answers as well. Friends, do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you promise to be Christ's disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? If so, please say, I do. And do you promise to share faithfully in the worship and work of this congregation? giving of yourself in every way, and do you promise to seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? If so, please say, I do. Thank you. And now David Wilson, a member of our church's session, has a question for all of us as a congregation. Will you, the entire congregation of Fourth Presbyterian Church, promise to welcome these new members, learning to love them, abiding with them, including them as family, supporting them on their faith journeys and encouraging them to use their gifts for God's wor work in this world? If so, please say, we will. 
We will. Now I want to offer these words of welcome with a brief charge. It is our hope and prayer that together here at Forth, we can be a community where you can discover the presence of God in your life and in the world. It's not as easy as some make it sound, but we have learned that it's easier together. We also endeavor to be a place where you can experience holy friendship, welcome and laughter and joy and companionship, people who will stand with you, celebrate with you in times of joy and stand with you in times of sorrow. And it is also that our hope that together we will discover what it is that God calls us to do and to be, to endeavor to do the good that is ours to do. We hope that that is how God knits us together as the fourth church family. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Let us welcome these new friends. <laughs> So friends, we are so deeply grateful to all of you and are grateful that you are a part of this church family. Thank you. As we prepare to turn our hearts to God in prayer, we acknowledge a change in the family of faith that we mark with the placement of the white rose in the chancel. We received word this past week that James Elms died on February the 16th of this year. May his memory be for a blessing. Friends, let us join our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. God of grace and glory, as we gather in your presence, we offer our prayers for the world you have entrusted to our care. We pray for those who are in positions of authority, that they may govern with wisdom, compassion, and justice, seeking the well-being of all people. We lift up those who are suffering whether from illness, poverty, or injustice. Grant them healing, comfort, and strength, and inspire us to be instruments of your love and mercy in these times. We pray for the protection of the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the oppressed. May they find refuge and support in our communities, and may we work tirelessly to dismantle systems of oppression and build a world where all are valued and respected. We ask your guidance and inspiration as we strive to be faithful stewards of your creation. Help us to cherish and protect the natural world, recognizing the interconnectedness of all living things and our responsibility to care for the earth and its inhabitants. We remember those who have gone before us, especially those who have touched our lives with their love and guidance. May they rest in your eternal peace 
and may their memory be a blessing to us always. Grant us, O Lord, the grace to live as your beloved children, seeking always to do your will and to bring about your kingdom of love, justice, and peace. We join our voices in praying the prayer that Jesus taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Preparing to give our time, our talent, and at this moment, our treasure. We are pleased to lift up the one great hour of sharing. For 75 years, our one great hour of sharing has provided Presbyterians a way to share God's love with our neighbors in need around the world and in our own community. Typically received during the season of Lent, each gift to one great hour of sharing supports the Presbyterian Hunger Program, the Presbyterian Committee of the Self-Development of People, Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, along with our own Chicago Lights Tutoring and Social Service Center and Fourth Church Meals Ministry. With gratitude filling our hearts, let us give generously to the glory of the kingdom of God.
us pray. God of grace, you provide for us in amazing ways. May our offerings provide for others and be used to further Christ's ministry and mission. Amen. you go out in joy, remember this, the love of God calls you by name. It is a love that will never let you go. So let that love encourage, instruct, inspire you to do the good that is yours to do this week, to share the love that is yours to share, and trust that God will use that to lead us to that promised day when justice rolls down like waters that day when swords are beaten into plowshares, that day when the children grow to be neither the destroyers nor the destroyed. We are living toward that day. And now may the love of God, 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of God's Spirit, rest and abide with us all, now and forever. Amen.